Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will consume me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. For three Sundays, we're going to look at Psalm 27, so we're not going to cover it all today. Uh, but each week we're looking at some aspect of this invitation to seek God. There's a certain sense in which the whole Bible really is an invitation to seek God. Maybe the language is different in each section, but in the ministry of Jesus, he tells us a priority, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The other things you want in life, God will give them to you, trust him, but make sure you have that priority. And Jesus comfortingly says, seek and you will find God is not playing games with us. He wants us to have goodness in life, but the Bible does portray the reality that sometimes we wander, we don't know where to look. And so we're looking at a passage where in, 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 um, in verse eight, uh, there's that invitation. David, or whoever wrote this Psalm says, you have said, seek my face. He understands that. So he responds, your face, Lord, do I seek? Uh, and so what I want to talk about today is seeking God for strength with our lives, including the troubles in our lives, in prayer. Um, you know, 
prayer, if you're going to be a Christian, prayer is important. But what prayer is, how to do it, that's a little bit more challenging. And sometimes we neglect that invitation that prayer is not simply on the checklist of religious duties, or it's not just how you get God to do for you what you want, um, but it's actually a primary place to work out the deepest realities of life, your deepest struggles, your biggest questions with God, in relationship with God. And so many of us avoid our problems, and we do that in prayer. We, we only name them asking God to do something about them, or we work them out elsewhere. We seek experts, and there are secular versions of prayer where, where you know, CEOs, famous leaders, will spend uh, their first 20 or 30 minutes of the day meditating. So they're going to confront the challenges, the problems, and think about them, but it's them and their ideas. Uh, For a Christian, it's not just us and our ideas, but it's us and God. So why would we not bring our ideas? Why would we not bring our concerns and questions to God? There's a variety of reasons why we don't. We have guilt, we have shame, we have fear, all sorts of things that keep us from deepening in prayer, and yet you read the the Bible and the gospel addresses all of those things. But some of it is more simple and practical, like attention deficit problems, the kinds of things that are, that are highlighted elsewhere, uh, like, for instance, uh, academics or thinkers who are concerned that a generation is growing up, getting everything in 30-second nuggets or, or one-page descriptions are losing the ability for a sustained argument over hundreds of pages. So it's great that any great book has a, a five-point bullet summary that you could find online, but is anyone really doing the work? That's the kind of concern that's being raised in some of these changes. Well, I think one of the the things that's making prayer harder for us when you're used to just quick and simple is that that sometimes the more important things that happen in prayer take time. And we're being um, uh, formed not to, to be those who sit and reflect and really think deeply. And there's an opportunity that we're missing out on. God invites us to seek him, but but he's not going to show up on a TikTok video, give you 30 seconds, and then send you out with all that you need. Uh, God is kind and gracious, and there are lots of tools and resources available to us. But we neglect, really, the chief means uh, of prayer, of, of coming, and we're sort of weaker for it. And as an example, if you think about um, an analogy between spiritual health and physical health, granola bars or the healthier versions of energy bars or proteins um, in some ways, the perfect food, it comes in identical size. So for, for, as you plan your kitchen, if you were to, to think, the only thing I'm going to deal with is granola bars. You don't need a refrigerator, um, so you don't have to worry about the electricity and, and a repair person. Just have, you know, in that spot, have some boxes of, of some protein bars. Um, buy them now. They'll be good in six months. If you don't have time to eat, you could stick one in your pocket. It's easy to share. There's all sorts of flavors. Uh, you know, in, in many ways, it it's, feels like the perfect food. But if you were to decide only to eat the granola bar and protein bar, um, you would be sustained. You could go on living. It would provide the basic needs, but it would not provide deeper health. So vegetables are not very convenient. You need to buy them with frequency. You need to wash them. You need to prepare them uh, to make them palpable. Uh, Kale, very good the way people are presenting it these days, but just uh, fresh from the farm stand to the mouth, not advisable. And so uh, fresh fruit and produce don't have the convenience that, that the protein bar does, but we know that we could do without the protein bar, and technically we can do without the fresh 
vegetables, but if we want to be healthy, we're going to need the vegetables. Um, there are so many resources, YouTube videos, books, devotionals that really are beneficial and helpful and, and play a very good and positive role in your life. But we're told that sitting with the Bible open, being aware of God and praying is what you need for real spiritual health. And if we have a diet of sort of simple spiritual quick fixes, you can be a genuine Christian. You could have good things happening in your life. But the kind of wrestling we see in Psalm 27, where there are real problems that, that we have trouble facing on our own, we're not going to have the spiritual strength to really uh, exist through those faithfully and come out on the other side okay. And so as we look at this Psalm, the kinds of troubles that are there, verse 2, evildoers assail me. So here are people intent on doing harm. That's the world we live in. How are how are we dealing with that when it happens? Verse three, though an army encamp against me. Okay, maybe that literally happened to David. Uh, maybe that doesn't literally happen to us, but in our minds, it could feel that way. All of a sudden, there's this, you know, the, the coworkers are starting to collaborate. Now, six or seven of them are in agreement that they don't like what I'm doing. Uh, verse five, the day of trouble, the thing that we fear, that diagnosis or the phone call with bad news. Uh, there's that reality that any day could be a day of trouble. How do we exist with that. Verse 6, enemies all around me. Verse 10, my father and mother have forsaken me. A betrayal where it shouldn't happen at, at, at such a close level. How do, you, how do you experience that and then go back into the world and being able to relate to everyone else when it's, when it's a mother or a father? Uh, that shapes you. It changes you. How do you, how do you deal with that? Uh, verse 12, adversaries, false witnesses have risen against me. Um, our reputation is subject to whatever people want to say. So that's the nature of the world we live in. And the question is, how do, we, how do we get strengthened in order to not be caught up in it so that we do it, nor to be destroyed by it? Um, so in verse 3, it says, yet I will be confident. There's a confidence here that comes through uh, the writer of the psalm being somebody who has heard the invitation to seek God and responds by going to God. And so as we think about our own lives, what, in what ways can we respond? I want to talk about our beliefs, our actions, and outcomes. Those three things are, are what I'm going to cover today. So I'm beginning with beliefs, because you see that as an important part of this psalm, but we know that, that the things that we believe play an important role in how we perceive what's happening, what choices we make. And for many of us, our beliefs have been formed without intentionality, just sort of what we grew up around, um, who we happen to have been with, what we find interesting, and we wind up with all sorts of beliefs, many of which are problematic or, or are having a problematic function in your life in the way that you're relating to others, or in the way that you're experiencing things. And so we all know of, of ways that what we believe sort of comes out. So for example, if you're going on a job interview, and you really believe that you're a good fit for that job, and that could be a good place, and you have good understanding, and you could bring value, that will affect how you relate in that interview. On the other hand, if you think it would be a great job because the title's impressive, but you're afraid you're gonna get found out for being completely unprepared for it, that's gonna shape what you say and how you experience that interview. And so being confident isn't everything, but um, there is a difference between confidence and arrogance. If you go into an interview thinking you are the absolute best and everybody else is a group of idiots, that that may come out in how you conduct yourself. You may be good at masking it, but, but if that's what you believe, it will 
impact things. So, so, so there's all sorts of examples about our convictions and our beliefs and how they shape things. One of the things about discipleship in the Bible is there's meant to be a repairing, a, a correcting of things that are fundamentally wrong or things that are, are misleading or problematic or a bit twisted that get untangled as we, as we follow Jesus, as we walk by the Spirit. And um, what the picture we get is that, that the result is, is that there's a, a strengthening that comes that, through uh, growing with belief. So for example, faith in the book of Hebrews, a New Testament book. In Hebrews 11:6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So that's very simple theology, very, very basic, but the belief that God exists, if you, if, if you don't believe God exists, well, then that's going to open a whole um, uh, number of possibilities in your thinking. But if you believe God exists, that immediately raises some issues. Well, uh, what is the nature of that God? Uh, to what degree is my life accountable to that God? So, so believing God exists uh, starts something that, that we need to figure out. But, but Hebrews 11, believing that God rewards those who seek it. And then taking the rest of the Bible to understand what that means, which is not that God's going to pay us for doing good things, uh, not that kind of reward, but, but the, the rewarding nature of, of turning towards God, drawing near to him, listening, being present, walking with God. These things, uh, we are told, is what brings the kinds of reward, rewards in life or rewarding life that people are otherwise seeking, but are seeking in the wrong ways and the wrong places. And so uh, there is... A, a conviction that we should have that not only does God exist, but, but it is actually good for us. Uh, to, the more we align with God, the more we come to know God, the more our lives are aligned with God, the greater our lives will be. The things that we want will um, come to us in increasing measure. And so how do we get grounded? Well, that's where the, the combination of the Bible and prayer, uh, the Bible tells us the things about God so that we, we get grounded, not just in wondering what God is like, but having the conviction of the ways that God is good. So in Psalm 27, it begins with these is statements. What, what does this writer uh, believe about the Lord? But well, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life and the conclusion of those beliefs. So of whom should I be afraid? Um, we've just been in a series in John's gospel. So if you were part of that, you know the themes of a light, very important throughout the Bible. Uh, and here's another installment of that, that belief that God is his light. He's the one who will show me. He's the one um, who will bring light to, to, to my life. So there are the things about who God is that we learn through the prayerful, walking with God, studying the Bible, living by faith, and that helps us with the things, uh, with the will, the future. What do we believe is the nature of God and what he will do? We can't be presumptuous. We don't control God. Life doesn't unfold exactly as we want and desire, and the world is still messy. But what do we believe if God is good, if God is merciful and kind, if we really believe that, what expectation do we have? Verse 5, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up upon a rock. The belief in who God is helps us have reasonable expectations of what God will do. We can't nail God down to fulfilling our precise dream, 
but we can trust if God is good and will be good to us, that somehow the things we'll, we fear are put in the context of a confidence that God will bring us through and work things out. So verses 13 and 14 are that declaration of belief. I believe. In verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, this world. So it's not an escapist, one day I'll see God's kindness in the heavens, in the new Jerusalem. But actually, if God is good, I believe that I will look upon that goodness. I'll see it, even here, even with the things that I fear. And again, it's not that life goes easy. It's not, it's not that we also won't see things that we don't want to see. Um, but, but having the kind of prayer life where you have a conviction that God is good and, and, and you draw near to God and from that drawing near then go out into the world, it shapes what you see. And it helps you to discern God's goodness, which is often present but undiscerned. And that's where we get strengthened in that prayer life. Uh, you know, if you think about um, acquiring taste for things, there are different flavors that may not have been part of the, uh, the foods that you grew up with. Um, and so one of the things about travel is you could sometimes taste new things. So people will sometimes go to the south of France in June or July, where they have these lavender fields that are beautiful if you want these very purple photos. But then you go to the very small towns around and you could get syrups with lavender and you can get all sorts of lavender products. And if you taste it, then years later, you're at some craft ice cream parlor and they have a lavender ice cream. Uh, you know, when you taste it, they're not po you know, uh, pawning off some raspberry that they're calling lavender so they could charge $2 more for the scoop but you've actually can discern the taste of lavender in it because you've tasted it. And it's that kind of prayer life to say, we, we need to do the work to get past the anxious mind, the, the simplistic uh, religious tricks. And we need to, to sit in the presence of God, to draw near to him, to know the goodness of the Lord. So then when we go back into the world, we can see it where it is. We could discern it even in the midst of the things we fear or the difficulties where those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And prayer is essential for, for remaining with that, of going back and, and having that goodness. It then, um, uh, that belief will then shape how you see and perceive what's happening. So in the invitation of the Bible to seek God, um, one of the things that we need to do uh, is to seek God so that he's shaping our beliefs, our understanding. Uh, but now I want to talk secondly about some actions, because it's um, the, the simple invitation of Scripture and the belief that is valuable should be enough, but few of us are doing it. And, um, and I feel like I have a decent devotional life, but this week, in being prepared to tell you that you should really make a priority to sit still before the Lord. I grappled with, uh, with my mind on a million things. I did not have an easy week that I'm arising out of and inviting you to join me with. But I do know over the course of my life and the life of those people who I've known that those who, who have that intentionality and that discipline to make it a priority find themselves strengthened. So it's important to talk about some of the actions. So verse four is interesting where he says, there's this one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after. So here, uh, what does it mean to seek God? Well, here, here's one expression of it. Uh, here's the one thing that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And if the invitation is to seek the face of God, the presence of God, 
well, then that focus of drawing near to dwell in the house of the Lord all of his days is understandable. Now, um, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and uh, the culture of the nation of Israel, um, there was a tabernacle up until the time of David, and then after David died, his son Solomon built a temple that was the central place. The priests lived in the temple or lived in the tabernacle. It was their duty day and night uh, to seek God on behalf of the people. Um, but other people lived ordinary lives. They lived in other villages and cities. Uh, but there was that sense in which the very center of the entire nation was a place of worship. And there were regular pilgrimages and, and, and festivals. And it's almost as if this person who's not a priest is saying it's in, the, in those times of drawing near, I have seen what's good. That's really what I've realized will satisfy me. And it's that that coming out of that and returning to my normal life that makes me realize my life would be better if there was an even more of a fullness, if I could bring something of that experience into this. And so when he says he, he desires to dwell in the temple of God, so yeah, there's a future reality of, of the book of Revelation showing that all of the people who have trusted God will somehow dwell in his presence. But there's a sense in which our gathering on Sunday is meant to, to give you something to strengthen you so that you can go out during the week. But during the week, you should be praying as well. We don't pray just one day of the week, but we should be praying constantly, informally, uh, walking in the spirit. But the discipline of prayer is important. And so sometimes the discipline of simply taking three or four minutes to, to go through a, a list of petitions is important. Here are some people I'm concerned about. So I'm just going to, before lunch every day, I'm going to take three minutes and pray through it. That's important. There's a variety of disciplines that are important. Uh, but what I want to encourage today is the, is the discipline of taking time daily, if you're able, but certainly finding time in your week to have an extended time of being still, aware of God's presence. And it's not simply something that's an extra thing you need to do in your life, but it's the thing that you need to be doing with the whole of your life that's missing, which is what decisions do you need to make? What are you afraid of? What are you grumbling about? Um, take the time to be still and work those things out with God. And there's something about us that, that many of us don't like. It's not simply that we don't like what's hard, because if something's hard, then we would often prefer the easy thing. But we'll overcome that if we can be good at something or if we could achieve something. But, but we're also, many of us are wired to not exist in a place where we're not good at something. And one of the reasons I suspect we don't pray is because few of us are good at it. You sit down with a vision of David or whoever wrote Psalm 27, having this delight in the Lord. And all you're thinking about is how soon you could end your prayer so you could go delight in something in the refrigerator. And then you want to avoid prayer because that it's just, it's not the place that you're working out life's problems. It's the place that you're reminded that you're not spiritual enough. And so there's distraction. There's all of these things. There's something about having those beliefs to say, the Lord is good. He's merciful. And having the discipline to exist in that moment and say, I'm here with my distracted mind. I'm not worthy to be here, but I'm going to stay because this is valuable. And, and persisting through until you get through those distractions, which let's be honest, there are spiritual influences that don't want you to sit in prayer. That voice reminding you that you're not good enough is not necessarily uh, a discernment of truth from your rational mind. And so, so take the time to have that discipline, to, to trust the Lord is good, and to sit in his presence, and then to take your fears, your angers, your resentments, your concerns, and work it out 
with God. And so there are all sorts of practical things you need to plan to do. I'm giving some examples today. I'm not giving a checklist of what you should do. But um, finding a, a consistent time. I'm a morning person. I wake up first thing in the morning. I'm the first one in my family up. That's the best time. I hear a lot of pastors that talk about that morning devotion. If you need to eat, drink coffee, have some exercise, and then at 10 a.m., sit down, do it. If you need to do it before bed, if you need to do it after dinner, if you need to do it at three in the morning. Um, just because the first thing in the morning works for me, I commend it. I think it's a great time. If it doesn't work for you, uh, it's not that we're, we need to seek God at 6 a.m. We need to seek God. So, so uh, find out what others are doing. We're in best practices, but, but you might have to tailor certain things to yourself, even a place. Um, rather than thinking, where am I going to pray today? Some people know that, that their home will not be a hospitable environment, so you need to go to the office first thing in the morning. You need to go to the park or find some other place. Um, where is it that you, in the way that you're wired, could best experience God? I benefit from quiet. I want to sit down and close my eyes. Um, some people, when they close their eyes, that immediately puts them to their to-do list. And uh, for me, I do not like the prayer walk. I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, what's that over there? Oh, I want to do that. Who's that person? I can't. Fo I need to close my eyes and I focus. There are other people, it's the exact opposite. You close your eyes and, and you can't focus. And so some people, they go for a walk and they pray with their eyes open. There was a couple of years, there was a guy that used to go to Emmanuel. I would, once a week, we would, we would walk around Morningside Park. It would take us about 45 minutes and we would pray for the neighborhood. We would pray for people at the church. Um, it was not, I didn't feel the presence of God as I do on the quietness of my couch. But, um, but it was a good way to pray. So there are various ways to pray. Um, the goal is, is to make sure that you're devoting that time. Um, sometimes it takes a warm-up. With exercise, you wouldn't... I certainly don't just bench press 300 pounds right at once. I usually warm up before I get to 300 pounds. It may take me five or 10 minutes. Um, so with prayer, we expect to sit down and, and sometimes... There is that warm-up of, of just reframing. Okay, Lord, here's the thing that I want to talk about, and then where's my mind? Okay, no guilt. Let's just bring it back. And sometimes there's almost like a biological reality that you just you calm yourself down so that you get to a point 10 or 15 minutes in. And you may find over the course of a month, you pray three times a week, once a month. You really have a sense that you've met with the Lord. Um, and so sometimes you just have to arise and say, I don't feel like I met with the Lord, but by faith I did. <laughs> the Lord is here. The Lord heard my prayers. And so uh, if you've had that experience, seeking after the emotion of that experience is a wonderful thing. If you've, if the contrast, if you've, if you've had that worship experience of God's peace and goodness, then when you're anxious, you want to reclaim it. <clears throat> but when you're anxious, it's hard to get there. Seek it, pursue it, Devo develop that discipline and it comes, but be patient with yourself in that moment and over long periods of time. And so if you need helps to warm up, if it helps to listen to a few songs, to sing them along out loud, if it helps to read something out loud, if it helps to read a short devotional, and if you say, I'm gonna devote 20 minutes, but the first eight or 10 are gonna be things that, that help my mind focus. If I just close my eyes, it's gonna get distracted. I'm gonna do things that help me focus, but, but the focus moving me towards God with the goal that at some point I might be able to just be still and be aware of God's goodness and grace. And so um, you may need to find different strategies for what, what D.A. Carson calls mental drift. It's just something during prayer that happens. Uh, and there, there's a saying that, that um, has sometimes used, uh, been used that I've found helpful, that you pray until you pray. 
sometimes it feels like you spend five or 10 minutes and, and, um, and you're not praying until then. Be- because I'm a minister and, and prayer is a, a greater responsibility for me. So I have the devotional life that anybody should have of just waking up, reading the Bible and praying. But I do spend one day a month in prayer with other people. So I'm somebody that finds it helpful to pray with other people. Some of you find it uh, more helpful to be by yourself. Both are needed. And so think about if you actually are helped by praying with other people, make that a priority. See if there's somebody else in the church that would devote 30 minutes of prayer, do it over Zoom, make it convenient. I spend a day in prayer uh, with people and parts of that, we take two hours to just go off on our own to read a book of the Bible. And then later on, we might take 45 minutes to sit still. But I find that having spent several hours reading, praying with others prepares me in a way that, that I just couldn't on my own. If I, if I uh, just took 45 minutes to be still before God, I can't do it. But when you begin at six in the morning by 3 p.m., sometimes you're ready. Um, but not every month do I feel like I've met the Lord, but sometimes I have. And, uh, and that's where I wanna commend to you making it a priority in your weekly routine but also to have times monthly or annually where you devote some intentional time. You know, is there a time of the year that you plan things, you know, in June? What investments are you planning on selling? Go before the Lord for several hours and and take your fears about your finances, admit your greed, uh, whatever it is you need to do, and then ask the Lord to be with you and to guide you. The actions that we take are important if this is a first priority. But remember that the actions are part of uh, interaction. The goal is not to go through a checklist of religious tasks. The goal is to walk with God and to know that he's with you and is present. And therefore, there are actions you can take to make sure that you're having that interaction, just like a busy couple sometimes needs to say, let's just put on the calendar a time to have coffee, that even though we sleep in the same bed, we haven't talked for two weeks. Um, Life gets busy. And New York life is busy enough that having the, the, the devotional life of a monk is not sustainable, but you still need to be intentional about praying. So those actions are, are maybe to stir some encouragement for you to create um, uh, some bullet points for yourself. If you want to make a priority of seeking God, what are things that you need to do to make that regular in your life? Think about that. Um, but I want to move now to outcomes because if our beliefs are grounded in the God of the Bible, if our actions are in line with a life where we're seeking God first, then there are certain outcomes we could expect. And the outcome that I wanna highlight today is a strengthening. That that's what we see in this passage, that that this person is overwhelmed by all that they're gonna face. And so even if it is the great King David, he feels weak for the particular challenges, uh, and yet he still has to face them. He draws near to God for God's good. He, uh, David is known for being a warrior. You get the picture here. Rather than desiring to draw near to battle to conquer my enemies, there's a desiring to draw near to God and worship. But then as it plays out, the enemies rise up against him. And then he believes that God is with him. So the growing strength that comes in, in the fellowship uh, with God is important. And, and this is where we neglect prayer as, as not a simply place where we, uh, the place where we give God the list of things we want him to do. And, and, and I'm not speaking of that negatively because God invites us to petition him. The things we cannot do for ourselves, Lord, please do this for me. That's not unspiritual, it's biblical. Um, but, but we don't wanna foster a passive life where we say, I'm not gonna think about my problems, I'm not gonna go back to the world, but I'm just gonna give God the list and then disappear with 
whatever it is, I'm back. Sorry. Three potential jokes went through my head, but <laughs> you'll get none of them. Um, needing to refocus here on, uh, on this priority. Um, the strength that we need for the kinds of things, you know, people saying things about you. We're, we're now in the age of the internet. You, you can't stop it. And if you go online and say none of it's true, you, you'll make it look like it's even more true. And so you find yourself stuck. What do you do with that? Well, you, you come before the Lord, not simply so he could reveal to you the plan for what to do, but, but because that's a, a different place. It's a place where everyone is speaking things that are untrue of you, but here's God who is speaking truth to you. You, you are invited, you are welcome, you belong. Uh, we need those times to be strengthened for the world. Now, of the various things that the writer of this psalm went through, uh, I know nothing about verse 10, though my father and my mother have forsaken me. So if you, look at, uh, if you look at David's life, he was betrayed, he was slandered, armies rose against him. There's nothing that I could think of in the Bible where we have anything about his father and mother forsaking him. So I don't know where that comes from, but I think modern thinkers will recognize uh, the impact that something like that happens. If you have one parent that has forsaken you or mistreated you, how that shapes, how that gives you certain core beliefs about yourself and the nature of the world that then shapes how you interact and how you perceive things. These days we have the self-awareness to know that, that we have distorted thinking and we need to fix it. Prayer is a primary place to work through those things because what happens is if we're not spending time with God in prayer, if we're not being shaped by who God has revealed himself to be and what he does for us, then we're left to assume God is like those around us. And if we have any experience of anyone around us who is not honorable and good, then the fears will sit with us. What if God is one who will reject me? What if I go to God when I most need him and he won't be there? The reason we need the scriptures, the reason we need to be with God in prayer is because it reorients us to go back into the world and say there actually might be people who are like God, people with character and people who will tell the truth and people who will be generous. And certainly I'm committed to being one of those people. And that's where that time of prayer can be healing and reorienting. Um, this being Father's Day, there was a column in the New York Times yesterday, Issa McCauley. Some of you will know him because he happens to be a Christian. And I don't recall in this column if he showed his cards that he was a Christian, but he used the language of forgiveness and various things that Christians do. But he talked about his father, and then he talked about himself being a father. His father was not a good father. His father was a drug addict. His father was not present in his life. And one of the things that he's saying is he is trying to be a very good father to his children. But the story in between that he shares was, was a reconciling time where before his father died, he he was able to forgive his father and how that was important. But what's interesting, the way he wrote it, it was very clear. He was not making excuses for his father. He's not saying my father was a great dad and I was just being petty. He was very clear throughout that his father had failed, that it was not okay, that it was a problem. But he said at one point, as he was trying to, to seek to be a good father, he understood that his father's life was, was more than just about being a bad father, that was his experience. It's not simply that he was a great guy who was terrible at fathering. He had a realization he was a guy who was terrible at life. And that actually uh, aroused sympathy for him that, that changed his possibilities. So one of the things he writes, he says, placing my father 
and his addiction in his own story made his failures not less tragic, but more. So he's not making excuses for his father. He's seeing, wow, the problems are deep. What was at stake was not merely a father failing a son, but a whole life crumbling. His story was much bigger than the two of us. Seeing that larger story stirred my sympathy. And he's talking to a very specific topic that, that he was in the details of, of what was wrong. And as, his, as he was able to step out of that and heal from it, it helped him to learn and to be better because of it, but also even to restore some things before his father died. In his case, he had the, the chance to do that. It's that bigger story that we lose track of. And we forget that prayer is a time to enter in the presence of the creator of heavens and the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who created everything and redeems everything, and to take the concerns of this week, even if they are genuinely great, and to put them in the story of God's redemption to which you were invited. And it's that way that that a devotional life can be a place of healing and strengthening and change, um, because the story of the Bible climaxes with Jesus Christ, who tells us that we have a father who uh, is uh, far greater than what our earthly fathers ever can be like. And he tells us that father has loved us so much that he had sent Jesus into the world with an invitation, Uh, not simply that we seek God, but that when we don't, God comes and seeks after us. And then you start to realize the story is bigger than, than me having a miserable, unfair life, but but God's kindness in this complicated world where I'm one of those who are also not seeking God, but perpetuating the problems of doing things my own way. And it's that gospel reality that when I wasn't seeking God, God came and sought me. And that's where in verse eight, David doesn't say, I sought the Lord. And the Lord responded, yes, seek my face. He realized the Lord first said, seek my face. And then he responded, hearing that invitation, my heart, will seek your face, O Lord. And it's that realization of the goodness of God who's there and we just don't see his goodness, who seeks after us and then invites us. If you, if you uh, feel the pull, it's because of the kindness of God working in your life. And when we take our wounds, like something in whatever form it may exist in your life, my mother and my father have forsaken me. To think of Jesus Christ going to the cross in Matthew 27, Uh, in our place, in order to reconcile um, the humanity and God who are divided, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? An interesting question, why would Jesus, who is upright, Jesus, who should be welcomed everywhere, be forsaken? And the story of scripture climaxes, it's, it's not that God first had forsaken us, but we had forsaken God. But it is God first who accepts and receives us. And so he sends Jesus to experience being forsaken so that none of us who hear his invitation to follow him ever will have to. And that's what gives us strength. That's what gives us something to say when I go before the Lord who is over all and who holds my future, then when my fear that I will be rejected, my fear that I will lose what I value, my fear that the things that are important to me won't be sustained, there's a foundation underneath to say, but I can trust that I will see the goodness of the Lord. So in verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And it's, it's that invitation to prayer. The Lord will take you in. So 
So it's not something you have to do because the Lord requires of it as part of the duties of the Christian life. It's, it's the very essence of the promise that, that though the world may reject you, the Lord will receive you. So, so he invites you, seek me, come into my presence, seek my face, and believe uh, that there is good for those who do so. And don't fear whether or not you're good enough. Don't fear because God is not like the corporation or the admissions officer or that friend in middle school. Um, the Lord is not waiting to see when to reject you, but the Lord is urging you to come, having made the means to accept you. And it's that foundation, that faith, that confidence, not in ourselves, but a confidence that God invites us and has made it possible so we could come and remain, that allows us then in verse one to say, well, whom shall I fear? Or verse three, <clears throat> I will be confident. Uh, the confidence is what comes from that belief of the, the thorough goodness of God and the actions of life that remain in that. And therefore, verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Waiting implies we are not strong. We're concerned. We're weak. We're fearful. But that encouragement to be strong and to let your heart take courage is a reminder that if you're waiting somewhere for the world to get better, anxiety is going to be part of what you face. But if you're drawing near to, in the, to the presence of the Lord, waiting for him to show you his goodness, well, then you don't need to be as concerned about those other things. Charles Spurgeon, sort of a famous preacher who himself struggled. His, he was not a happy figure at all times, but he was a confident figure. He was strong in the faith. And in a reflection on Matthew 28, so Matthew's gospel ends, make disciples of all nations, baptize, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, Lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. So Spurgeon, in one place, wrote, Lo, I am with you always, is enough for my soul to live upon. Let who will forsake me. And it's not that we take lightly human betrayal. It's not that it quickly goes away. Um, but it's important to know that there is one who invites you to be with him who will never forsake you. There's one who will not reject you. There's one who knows who you are and therefore you don't need to uh, be fake about anything. You don't need to apologize for anything. You need to come with honesty and make use of the means of acknowledging our need of grace, our forgiveness, of trusting his provision. And that strengthens us. So um, if our retirement funds leave us, we'll, we can be okay. If, if, uh, if our boss leaves and takes a job and strands us, we'll be okay. If the person we're dating leaves us, we'll will be okay. It's not that the promise is the Christian life will be easy. It means you don't need to be afraid that you'll be utterly destroyed. And so because God will not forsake you, he who says, seek my face, um, let our hearts say, your face, Lord, do I seek. That's where we will find strength. Let's pray. Our Lord, every time we gather, we come with our weakness. We come as a people, many of us who... Uh, so much time uh, reading theology and still anxious about petty things. And yet we also gather anxious about very real things and we also come wounded by very difficult things. Lord, we know this world is not what it should be. And Lord, we lament that we are part of that, but we are grateful that you are all that we desire, that there is fulfillment in you and that by your grace, you invite us continually to return, to seek, to receive the welcome uh, that comes from you who will not forsake us. May we find strength today in that. 
And as we go back into the world this week, help us to wait on you and to believe that we will see your goodness and to watch for it so that when we recognize it, we'll rejoice in it. And until we recognize it, we will wait patiently and seek to be faithful, um, even in whatever this season of waiting looks like for us. Do a work of grace and renew us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.